Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to take them this morning and turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We've been in a series on heaven, a sneak preview of heaven, and that is really all that it has been. Because literally we could spend weeks talking about heaven and still not exhaust it. And there's no way really that even as I get up here that as hard as I may try, as I've told you, that I'm going to be able to really give you a good picture of what heaven is really going to be like. But I hope that what I'm going to do in this series is just whet your appetite and cause you to go back and to consider more and more. So what we've learned so far real quickly is we've talked about that there is the present heaven, which is the intermediate heaven where believers go temporarily, if you want to pop that up there for us, uh, until that new heaven and earth. So we've talked about that present heaven where we as believers go immediately now until such time as the Lord Jesus Christ returns and we receive our resurrection body and we enter into the future or the eternal heaven, the new heaven and earth, that God will create at the consummation of the ages when he returns. So we've looked at this present heaven where we are going to go. And again, I want to remind you that there's no soul sleep. We're not going to be unconscious. We're going to go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Instantly into the presence of the Lord. There's no purgatory, so there's not any stopovers on our way to get to the Lord Jesus. We're going to go instantly into his presence. But the glory of it all is what God has in store for us. And so we're going to read these verses, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, and the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In these verses, 
John introduces us to the new heaven and earth that will be established at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And again, we're going to take these verses and we're going to go rapid fire through them to kind of give you an overview. But I hope again that you will take this as a motivation to do further study into heaven. There's two good books that I might recommend. One is The Glory of Heaven by John MacArthur. But the best treatment on heaven is one by Randy Alcorn. Some of you remember he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. But this is a fantastic book if you really want to dig in and get a good biblical understanding of heaven. And it's a very readable book. So without further chit-chat, let's dig in and look, first of all, at the appearance of the new heaven and earth. The appearance of the new heaven and earth. He says, then I saw. Now, then means things have been happening prior to the appearance of this new heaven and earth. And indeed, a lot has been happening. We don't have time to go into it. And I gave you a little chart that you can kind of follow along. But the key event is that there has been the great white throne judgment where God has resurrected the dead that are unsaved, and they have been judged And after that event, it would seem to be chronologically, then there is the appearance of the new heaven and earth. He says, then I saw that new heaven and earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, a major question that we have to ask, and it's one that's debated in many ways, is when John speaks of a new heaven and earth, Does he mean that the current earth and heaven will be destroyed and that a new heaven and a new earth will be made from scratch? Or will the original heaven and the original earth be renewed and transformed? Well, there's different people on either side, but I believe personally that it's going to be renewed and transformed. And the reason I believe that is because of what God is doing with the very resurrection of the body. What did, say, what did God do? He created the perfect world, the perfect person, the perfect environment. And what did Satan do? He came along and tempted the man and the woman. And what happened? They sinned and death came and our bodies now experience death. Our bodies were, so to speak, taken away from God, if you want to use that terminology. And so part of redemption was not only redeeming our souls, but also what? Redeeming our bodies. Because if he just simply said, I'm going to redeem your soul, then Satan would have won because he was able to take away what God originally created. Same thing with all of creation. Because it says in Romans 8 that all of creation is what? Groaning. It's groaning under the weight of sin. It understands that we are are not experiencing all that God intended. So God, we know, is able to take what is meant for evil and turn it for good. So in the end, God is going to renew this heaven and this earth so that it'll be everything that God intended it to be. New doesn't mean that it had to be destroyed. Rather, it means that it's new in character. I gave you a quote from John Piper that tells you about it. But however it happens, because we can only speculate because this is eternal, this is God, he's doing his fantastic things, we know and believe that it will be a perfect place for our new resurrection bodies. It will be a place much like the garden. 
Now, again, this is going to blow some of our mind about heaven because, again, you know, we picture little people walking around with wearing white robes with angel wings flying behind them and halos, and that's all they're ever doing. But it says he's going to create a new heaven and a new what? Earth. So if it's a new earth, and he's using the word earth, which is what he used when he created the earth, why would we think the new heaven and the new earth would really be a whole lot different? I believe it's going to be a new earth the way God intended. That means good chance there's going to be topography, plants, animals, because that was all a part of God's original earth, amen? It was all a part of it. I believe that God is going to create the perfect place where we're going to rule with him. Revelation 22 verse 5 says that, that we're going to rule. That was what we were originally to do, amen? When he put us in the garden, he said, you are to subdue and you are to rule over this creation that I have created. And what does that mean? Does that mean we sit on thrones and that we dictate and issue orders? No, it means that we engage, we create, we design, we make better, all those kinds of things. And so I believe in heaven we're going to still be creating things. I believe in heaven we're still going to be doing things. We're going to even be maybe building things. We're going to be designing things because art and music and pleasure and relationships are all a part of this earth. And why would God say he's creating a new heaven and a new earth if it was not going to be as we know it? So heaven is going to be unlike anything we have experienced because all we've ever experienced is what we experience in this broken, fallen world that we live in. One day, it's all going to be changed. Hallelujah. But not only is there the appearance of the new heaven, but then I want you to see what is really a prominent feature through this chapter and chapter 22, and that is the capital city of the new heaven and earth. There will be a capital city in the new heaven and earth. And hallelujah, it will not be Washington, D.C. He says, Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We just sang about that just a moment ago. John says this new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven. Now, this is not the earthly, historic Jerusalem that we know. Rather, it is the heavenly Jerusalem. So, what is this heavenly Jerusalem? Well, I believe it is the present heaven where believers go and where God is dwelling now. And so, what's going to happen in that season is that the heavenly Jerusalem is going to descend and is going to serve as a dwelling place of the redeemed on earth, and that this new Jerusalem, heaven, will be bonded with earth. Have you ever heard the statement, heaven on earth? Well, this will literally be heaven on earth, because the new Jerusalem, heaven, will be bonded with the earth, so that God's presence will be here. And so this new Jerusalem, again, we could literally spend weeks talking about it, but let me just point out a few quick things from our text. First of all, notice the holiness of the new Jerusalem. He said, then I saw a what? Holy city. Revelation 21 verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the what? Holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. 
One of the first things that God tells us as he speaks of this new Jerusalem is it will be a holy city. A holy city. Not the dingy, dirty cities that we may see, especially as we go into the inner city where there's crime and depravity. This will be a holy city. None of the ugliness of the earthly cities will we ever see because this will be a holy city. But only the holiness of the city, notice also the glory of the new Jerusalem. The glory of the new Jerusalem. He begins to describe it in verse 11. He says, it has the glory of God. And its radiance will be like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Revelation 21, verse 11. In other words, the glory of the new heaven will be God himself. God will be present there, and and he will be the glory. And, And John tries to find the words that can describe what the glory of God will be like. And he says it's like a a rare jewel. That is, it's something that perhaps we can't even imagine what it would be like. So beautiful will be his glory. It's kind of like when you buy that ring for your wife that you're going to, or the girl that you're going to marry. You bring it out, and you look at it in the light, and it glistens, and there's a glory that shines off of that. This will be the new Jerusalem. The glory of it will not be the diamond ring, but it will be the God who is in the midst of it. Like a prominent building in a city that rises up above all the other buildings that causes you to draw your attention to that place, so will be the glory of God. But then not only the glory of it, notice the grandeur of the new Jerusalem. Let's read verses 12 through 15. He says, verse 12, and it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates were 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles. Then drop down to verse 17 as he describes the wall a little farther. He says, and he measured its wall 144 cubics by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was of pure gold, like clear glass. I mean, we can't even picture that. It's pure gold, but it's clear. It's something that's indescribable. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelia, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, crystopaz, the eleventh jansith, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of them made of a single pearl. Now, we think of a pearl as a little thing. Imagine these massive gates. It will be one single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I've literally preached a whole message just trying to picture a little of the language of what he's saying here, but the essence of it is that the grandeur of this city will be unlike anything that we've ever known. The massive gates and the streets of gold. In fact, the whole city is made of a gold that we can't even understand. There's the grandeur. But then I want you to see the size 
of the new Jerusalem. Look at verse 15. And, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And this city, this new Jerusalem, lies four square. Its length is the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its height are equal. Now, just to kind of help you grasp what he's saying here, a stadia equals roughly 1,500 miles. So it's going to be 1,500 miles long, so that would be roughly going from the tip of Maine all the way to the tip of Florida. So it's going to be that long. 1,500 miles wide would be the equivalent of going from here all the way to Grand Junction, Colorado. So it's going to be from the tip of Maine all the way down to Florida, all the way over to Colorado in size. But then he says it will be 1,500 miles high. 1,500 miles high. Now if we take that and measure 15 feet, it would mean that heaven will have over 528,000 stories. The Empire State Building has 100 stories. So literally, as he describes it for us, this thing will be 5,280 times taller than the Empire State Building. So each story is going to have 2,250,000 square miles. That is, the New Jerusalem will be 330,000 times larger than the United States' geography. The earth has 196,951,000 square miles. The New Jerusalem will be larger than 6,000 of our earths. Can you imagine that? And and if, if you think of it in terms of stories... There have been approximately 30 billion people that have lived on earth. If every person, every person that ever lived went to heaven, each person would have 197 square miles of their own turf or roughly 126,000 acres. But we know everybody is not going there. So cut that in half, and that means all of us are going to have Uh, Can you imagine this, Caleb, you love farming? You're going to have 285,000 acres of your own land to take care of. Hallelujah! This thing is mind-boggling, folks, what he's speaking to us about. But it is where we're going to be a part of. Really, that song is true. I've said it before. Though millions have come, there is still what? Room for one. There is plenty of room for you, my friend. Don't worry that when you go to heaven, it's going to be like going to Tokyo where everybody's just doing like this. This is going to be a grand and glorious place. Spacious. And, 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 and the amazing thing about it is we're going to be able to travel the entire distance of it. And, and we, Caleb won't necessarily need a John, da- John Deere tractor to get there. But then notice also the temple of the New Jerusalem, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There will be a temple, but it will not be the temple as we think about it, because what is a temple? A temple is a place to go and to worship God and offer sacrifices, right? 
We won't have to go to a place to worship God because we will always be in His presence. We can worship Him at all times. There's no need for a temple. He is the temple. And there certainly is no need for sacrifice because there will be no further sin. Amen? Amen? Amen. But then notice also the light of the new Jerusalem. Verse 22, he says, and I, or verse 23, he says there that, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the lamp. So God's glory will be so radiant and bright that it will outshine the other heavenly bodies, because I believe there will still be lights. But it will be the glory of God being so radiant, so bright, so, re- so great that it will outshine every light. It's kind of like, you know, you have your flashlight, and it's a really powerful flashlight. And then you go outside, and the radiance of the sun begins to shine, and you're going, where is the flashlight? I can't see it anymore, because the radiance of the sun will so outshine all other lights. So will be the glory of God. And then notice the people of the new Jerusalem. Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What is he saying there? That people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now listen to this because it's so cool. People from every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be united as God's people. You remember something called the Tower of Babel? What happened to the Tower of Babel? God had to say, okay, you guys think that you can become God and that you can get to heaven. I will disperse you and the languages and the divisions and all the other things. Another result of the curse of sin, God is going to redeem it all and bring us all together. We will be one race with one language. Then notice the gates of this new Jerusalem, because he describes gates. And its gates, verse 25 and 7, will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now what are gates for? We put gates up to do what? Keep things out and keep things in. Because we don't want certain kinds of people to come in. We don't want certain kinds of people to intrude in our space. It is to keep what is not good out. But in heaven, the gates will always be open. Why? Because there will be no evil to keep out. Hallelujah. I'm sorry. Now, one thing there will not be in heaven are alarm companies. And there won't be any locksmiths in heaven because we won't need them because there's nothing we got to keep out it is totally open and we can't imagine that the closest thing some of us elderly people can remember is the days of the Andy Griffith when you could leave your front door unlocked all the time can't do that anymore but in heaven you can in heaven you can And, and then notice the interior the interior of the new Jerusalem 
He describes that over in verse 22. And there's three prominent features that seem to describe the interior of the New Jerusalem. First is the river of life. Revelation 22, 1 and 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You remember in their Garden of Eden, there was a river that flowed and it watered all of creation. But man was shut out from that, wasn't he? Because of his sin. But in heaven, that water of life, that river of life will be restored. But then also he talks about a tree of life. Verse 22, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. We last saw the tree of life where? In the Garden of Eden, didn't we? And what happened when man sinned? God said, you can't partake of it. Hallelujah, he did that because we would have been eternally damned and there would have been no hope of redemption. So God said, I will not allow you to take that because I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to restore the creation. And one day there will be that tree of life that guarantees us perfect health. Perfect health. The other thing there won't be in heaven is Vitamins and prescriptions. Hallelujah. Won't be any pharmaceutical reps. Won't be any doctors. There's any doctors, they'll say, well, go eat one of the tree leaves from the tree of life. It's all going to be there. You say, oh, my goodness. And then the main prominent feature is the throne of God. He says, and no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Which leads to the next, the king of the new Jerusalem. This is what I really want us to see. No longer will there be anything accursed, nothing, because the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him, verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. There will be no need of light, of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever. What is he saying here? That when we get to heaven, guess who's going to be the leader? It's going to be the king. There will be no political parties in heaven. No Republicans, no Democrats, no independents, just God's party. There will be no more political positioning, no more power grabs or gridlocking, just God's reign. There will be no more elections or terms of service, just God's eternal reign. There will be no more voting on matters, no more business meetings, no more Baptist business meetings, just God's law and God's will. There will be no more political corruption, no more probes, no more scandals, just God's holiness. There will be no more fundraisers, just God's eternal riches. No more division of power between the executive branch and the judicial and the legislative because God will be both king, judge, and legislator. There will be no more evil, corrupt leaders, just God's righteous leadership. Because of who's on the throne of heaven. And what will we do? We're going to worship him freely. We're going to know him intimately and we're going to reign with him eternally. All promise there. We're going to worship him freely. None of this 
The scepter has to be extended as Esther found. And if it was not extended, she would be killed. We will have free right to enter into the presence of God. We're going to know him intimately. And we're going to reign with him eternally. Reign with him. Join with him, co-regents, along with him. Is this sounding good to you? Boy, it does to me. No wonder the, the bride says at the end of this chapter, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But then third of all is the joy of the new heaven. Let's go back over to Revelation chapter 21, back up. Verses 3 and 4. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's one word that I would say describes heaven in a, in a grand way, and it will be joy. It will be joy because the presence of God will be there. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Teresa of Avila said, wherever God is, there's heaven. Isn't that good? Wherever God is, there is heaven. And the light of heaven will be that God's presence will be everywhere. All this stuff that we've been talking about the beauty of the gates and the river of life and the tree of life and, and the walls and the size and the dimensions. All that is just cherries on top of the, the delight of knowing God and being with Him. The presence of God will give us joy, but also the absence of sin. You see, we'll be liberated from the residual effects of the fall because the sum total of our human experience is suffering. But he says in verse 4 that all those things, death, mourning, crying, pain, will all come to an end. I can't understand why anybody would say, I don't want to go to heaven. Because all this is waiting. And, and sometimes we're in the midst of our suffering and we all get there and we struggle and, and we wonder and, and we're going to us. Remember what's awaiting you. But then I want you to look, number four, at the certainty of this new heaven and earth. Because, because by this time, some of you are probably saying, this pastor is just a little too good to be true. It, it's kind of like when you see the commercial guys and this guy is ripped, and he's got a six-pack instead of a keg. Some of y'all are going to get that. But he's got the six-pack, and his pecs are just perfect, and he's all muscle-bound. And they say, take this pill. You don't even have to exercise or diet, and you can look like me. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah so all the women are saying, yeah, I gave that pill to my husband. It didn't work. He still got the keg, not the pack. We look at those things and we go, nah, that's just, that's just too good to be true. How many of you see those infomercials that come on? Yeah. You know what I do? I start pulling out my phone and going, okay, what are the reviews on this thing? Does it really happen? You know, some of you may be saying, man, this is just too good to be true. It can't really be true. Oh, yes, it is. 
Because notice what verses 5 and 6 says in Revelation 21. And he was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give them the spring of the water of life without paying. You know, if, if this was a politician, if this was Joe Biden saying, this is all going to happen, you'd be going, oh, yeah, right. Or Trump or whoever you want to throw in the political mix. But I want you to see that Jesus is the one that says it. And he gives us three evidences of its certainty. One, he declares the claim with certainty because he says, I'm saying this on my throne. You can go to the next slide for them there. Then he writes the claim with certainty because he says, I am trustworthy and I am true. He writes it with certainty and then he makes it with certainty because notice what he says in verse 26. He says, it is done. Now, one thing we can't understand, I'm sorry, I thought that other, I had another slide in there with those words on it. I'm sorry, I messed up there on poor Caleb up there. But, 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 but he's saying it is done. Now, what, what we can't see is in the original language, this is in the perfect tense. You say, yawn, yawn, what does that mean? Well, it means something that is in the past but is already now true and has ongoing results. When he says, it is done, my friends, it is what? Done. This thing is certain. It's, there's no if, ands, or buts. It is true. It is done. It is a done deal. You've heard the statement, nothing in life is certain other than taxes and death. Well, let me tell you what is certain. Heaven is certain. It is more certain than death and taxes because of the one who declares it will be true. Man, we've got so much. We're just not even touching it. Then the residents of the new heaven and earth, verse uh, 6 and 7 He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. He gives us three descriptors of the people of heaven and who they are. They are those who were spiritually thirsty and drank from the springs of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Are you thirsty for him? Have you realized that you're thirsty and you're hungry, but nothing in this world will satisfy that? But you came to the place in your life where you realized only Jesus can satisfy my deepest thirst and my deepest hunger. And you drank of the fountain of life and you ate of the bread of life. Those will be the ones that are in heaven. Those who overcome by exercising faith in Jesus Christ alone. For everyone, verse John, John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, we just simply relate that to our now time. But I'm going to tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ, you are going to literally overcome this world. And those who have become children of God... He gave them the right to become children of God. But sadly, not everyone is going to be in heaven. Because I want you to see verse 8. Please see this. There are the outcasts of the new heaven and earth. 
He gives a list there. We read it earlier. The cowardly, those that would not stand up for Christ, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers. You know, by the way, the word sorcerers there is the Greek word from which gets our word pharmacy. It's pharmakia. So literally, sorcery is the using of drugs. There's a lot of sorcery in our country today, amen? Not talking about prescription. Idolaters, liars, and their portion will be in heaven. Is that what it says? No. It's going to be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Similar lists are found in other scriptures that I gave for you this day. But this is not meant to be an exhaustive list by any stretch. It's just simply saying the unredeemed and the unsaved will not be in heaven. And they will experience a second death. They're going to be resurrected as well. Did you know that? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are going to be resurrected. But you're not going to be resurrected unto heaven. You're going to be resurrected unto the second death. Look back up at Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. He describes it. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. This is the unredeemed dead great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead, the unredeemed dead who were in it. Death and Hades, those that have already preceded in death, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the eternal hell. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I want you to understand, my friend, if you're not a a resident of heaven, you are a resident of eternal hell. And listen to me, there will be no second chance. This will be your eternal destination. Because, you know, people say, well, Satan spoiled it before. What's to keep us from thinking he'll spoil it again? Because he's going to be eternally bound in eternal hell. Forever. He still moves around. He even moves around in the present heaven because we know in Job he appeared, right? But not then. It's over. It's done. No more devil. No more demons. It's done. But they're not going to be annihilated. They're just going to be in the lake of fire where they will suffer for eternity. And that's where you're going to be. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I've said it many times, I had this opportunity this week because I was meeting with a couple, and afterwards I talked to them after we talked about life insurance and getting everything ready, and I always try to talk to them about the fact that, but are you ready to go to heaven? Because it's real, and so is hell. Where are you going to spend eternity? 
I'd like to see you in heaven with me. I'd like to see everyone in this room. I'd like to see everyone that I'm not seeing right now on Facebook. I'd like to see you in heaven, and I'd like you to come up and say, man, I remember it was August the 7th. I was watching on Facebook, and you talked about heaven, and you told me about Jesus, and I prayed and accepted Jesus Christ, and now I'm here in heaven with you. Ha-ha! Hallelujah! I hope every single one of you are there. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Don't miss the invitation. Ruth Ann Medscar, with her heads bowed, was a professional singer. And she tells the story of an experience that she had when she was invited to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. And afterwards, the reception was to be at the highest building in Seattle. At the reception, there was luscious hors d'oeuvres, exotic beverages. The bride and groom approached a beautiful glass and brass stairwell that led to the top floor. The ribbon was cut. At the top of the stairs was a maitre d' with a bound book. And as Ruth Ann approached, the maitre d' said, may I have your name, please? Well, I am Ruth Ann Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. The maitre d' searched the book, and he said, I'm not finding it. Would you spell it? So she spelled out her name, and he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but it isn't here. And she said, there must be a mistake. I'm the singer. I, I just sang for this wedding. And the maitre d' answered and said, ma'am, it doesn't matter what you've done. If your name's not in this book, you cannot attend the banquet. And the maitre d' asked someone to take them and escort them out. And as they walked away past the tables of luscious food and the sound of the orchestra as it began to sound up and the beautiful sculptures and all the things that were there, they got on the elevator and went down and got in their car. Her husband said, sweetheart, what happened? Ruth Ann replied, well, when the invitation for the reception arrived, I was too busy, and I never bothered to RSVP. God is extending his invitation to you. Maybe in times past you've forgotten to RSVP, but today is the day that you're going to make that decision. Don't, don't say, I'm going to do it later on because like Ruth Ann, you'll get busy and you'll forget about it and, and eternity will come and you'll stand before and they'll open up the book of life and say, I'm sorry, your name's not here. Some of you said, okay, I, pastor, I went forward at a church when I was a little kid and I was baptized. Yeah, man, I, I've done all those things. Uh, scripture says that's, that's not it. And then you're going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say to them, I don't know who you are. Have you truly repented of your sins, acknowledged that you're a sinner, and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you make that decision today? Pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, save me. I want to go to heaven. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know that there, my name will be written in your book. 
I want to know that I will be ushered into your presence in heaven. Forgive me of my sins. Take control of my life and make me the person that you want me to be. Most of us here today are already Christians. Is heaven your joy? Like me, you get caught up in the things of this world and and sometimes my wife will testify, I get overstressed and I'm glad for messages like this because it brings me back to what really matters. Are you building treasures for heaven? You're not going to take any of the stuff in your bank account or on your property or in your house. That stuff's not going. Stuff that's going is your deeds. The stuff that's going to be going are people that you've led to Jesus Christ. Are you building treasures in heaven? Is heaven your focus?